Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. to 59 yeah we did we've had a for us I, I think it's slightly longer than normal break we say once a month we commit to once a month but it sometimes can happen early in the month sometimes a little later in the month so i think october was early oh. november would be a little late okay um yeah. that's it's good because i don't think we've had much to talk about since last time uh, no, now we, we just did this you and I have said we now we have something to talk about, which is what I like about the podcast. Right. If you we have more to talk it. about, we'll do more than once a month. Sure. Maybe if there's something going on, but when it's you remember you know, when we used to have to do the radio show every single week? Yeah, it was hard to come you, up with topics. <laughs> you would be just going, "Oh dear, what are we going to talk about?" You know, it gets a little repetitive when you have to do it that often. Hey, back 25 years ago when I was in real radio. And did a morning show. How would you like to come up with stuff every, every day? Every single day. Yeah, I don't envy those people. That was I was one of those people as a much younger man. And that was right. a tough job is to come up with stuff to talk about every day. It was like tough. Yeah. So. All right. So what's this brilliant stuff that we've come up with to talk <laughs> well, about to now? start with, I was, I think, I think what we're, what the gist of this is, is where we are right now with the markets but mm-hmm. it starts with me i had dinner the other day with a very nice couple that we i would call them more an acquaintance that we see once a year and we end okay. up saying hey you know let's get together and then we do and we sort of catch up and inevitably i talked to the, this guy who's very very bright guy by the way <clears throat> boy does he know a lot more than me about just about everything <laughs> but maybe not this so we're talking about you know, he likes to talk about retiring and what he's going to do. And he's sort of like saying he has a certain amount of money now. And he's a, a very good saver and a lot in his 401k and all that stuff. And he it's invested it virtually the whole time, even with going through 2008 and we'll call S&P 500 equivalents, things like that. Okay. So he's a um, stock investor. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to, my goal is to double what I have now. And he's looking at retiring, expects that to happen in about five or six years or something like that. And then our discussion was went from that to when he's retired, he wants to take out 3% as a supplement, whatever else he has coming in, 3% a year okay. for the rest of his life out of his accounts, which... As we all know, well, maybe not all of us listening to this, but certainly you and I know, and most people who would listen to this podcast know that that's a reasonable amount, certainly to take out of your retirement portfolio each year. Right. 
Um, but he and he wants to, and he says there's no reason not to remain invested in the S and P 500. Stick with basically the investments I have going forward. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, naturally, my feeling was, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, and I said, quite frankly, statistically, that is going to work. Yeah. But I said psychologically when you're retired and there could be a big downturn and you have say all your money in stocks and you just take a 35% hit in one year and that's all your money. You're not working psychologically. That's very difficult. "Ah, You know, I I know it's going to come back (laughs) and all the, and all that got me thinking to where we are now. I was like as a history major, not a finance major in college and someone who's really interested in history in general, how we forget the feelings we had in 2008, which quite frankly is going on 12 years ago. So it was that long ago, but we honestly have had a a rising stock market since 2009 on the longest bull market ever. And a couple things stood out from my little conversation with that guy. A, um, it certainly stood out that he's done the right thing going to this point, but also that there's a, a, a complete forgetting that the market might go down. I mean, it's not so easy to double your money in five or six years, unless we have a continuing of this bull market that goes on. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the first part of your story that jumped out at me, you know, because he's saying 3% withdrawal seems reasonable. Yeah. I'm going to double it in the next five to six years. Whoa, wait a second. (laughs) You know, we, most people know the rule of 72, which basically says, you know, if you're going to get a, 10% 10% return, you're going to double in 7.2 years. Yeah, remember, he's also, he is also going to be, I'm assuming, maxing contributing, right? So, yeah, but still, but I still. mean, doubling in five to six years, that's difficult. Well, to if do. we have a couple of years when the, when the market's down, let's say the SP's down two years in a row, right? Significantly, let's say 15 one year, 17 the next, a downturn mm-hmm. before it goes back up, that ain't happening. Well, and, and you're right. And statistically, you know, uh, hopefully everybody out there has been hearing these discussions and we've certainly been having them with clients about lower expected rates of return going forward. Um, just because statistically, when you've come 10 years through a stock market going up without having a major correction, and we've had some 10, 15% corrections along the way, but nothing major, you're not going to go another 10 years without that happening. There's going to be something, and we always say, you know, we wish we knew exactly what it was going to be, and I wish I could tell you, well, it's going to be housing, it's going to be technology boom, whatever. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's there's going to be something that comes along, and this is kind of a classic case, this guy of assuming, yeah, we're going to have ups and downs, but yeah, nothing too bad, and I'll be able to, to double in five to six years. The second part of your story that kind of jumped out at me was, um, well, now I'm losing my train of thought here. Well, the 3%, the, the notion that well, this is what jumped out to me, the notion that, okay, now I'm, and this might be someone listening now. Right. I'm retired right. now and I'm going to take out three or 4%, which is certainly reasonable. Yeah. But I'm going to leave it all in, in just a hundred percent stocks or let's say I put a hundred percent in S and P 500 related or ETFs or all things that are stocks and growth and funds 
thinking that, hey, you know, statistically, this is where I find this to be. This part's a little tricky. If we were to look at statistics, Monte Carlo analysis, to leave it in stocks over this 25 Mm -hmm. is going to be better. Right. But psychologically and not knowing what's coming. That that's what I was thinking when I lost my train of thought. There was what exactly what you hit on, which is just this this fact that yeah, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be okay. It's not gonna bother me seeing my account value go down by forty percent when I'm retired and taking income because I'm just gonna look at the statistics and say I'll be fine. I I mean. <laughs> I can't speak for everyone. Maybe there are some robots out there that that are just cool with that and can be very detached and and you know okay with it. I know as a professional in the industry, somebody who knows all the data and the statistics, when it goes down, I get worried. Right? I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh no, I'm cool with it. It's no problem." No, it it makes me have those same feelings that that everybody has. And I, I think you're right. I think this this friend of yours, market goes down, he can look at the data and the statistics. It's going to make him feel pretty lousy if he has to withdraw money from stocks when it's down 40%. Absolutely. And then changing your strategy in midstream is not good. Right. I was 100-0 was my portfolio. Now it's yeah. gone down 30%. You know what? I was wrong. Let's just move it to 70 Oh, yeah. That's now really I've bad. Cost myself, now I've basically... Am, unwittingly timing the market. Right. Well, Dave, your story tied in perfectly with a... Yep. That's the cue. We hear it now. The music. The Barry Rithholtz. One of the great non-paid contributors in the industry the podcast. Yeah, not paid at all. Um, But I saw an article just this morning. I saw this. Even as we were preparing five reasons investors are chasing risk. And this really... process they were going through. Um, so what he's talking about is, you know, why are people chasing risk, going for things that might generate them higher returns? Part of it has to do with what I touched on. Number one, lower expected rates of return going forward. Um, you know, when you talk to most people, most economists and, and whatnot who are looking longer term, remember, we don't mess around with short term predictions. When we look longer term, based on interest rates where they are, based on valuations and stocks, we're looking at much lower rates of return for stocks and bonds going forward. Um, I, I don't think your friend is fully I know, <laughs> embracing but you, that. But there. I will tell you something. Though I always do this little exercise. I call it the regular person exercise, not the us exercise. Not even many people listening to this who really follow finance. I'm a regular person. I don't think too much about money. Yeah. But on Sunday, when I'm reading the Washington Post, I, hey, I'm going to look at the business section, see what <laughs> what's going on. And I look in this one page. It'll show me my what I can make on a money market, yep. which is, I believe, this last week was somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.64%. <laughs> It'll show me what I can make on a five-year CD. Yep. which I believe was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2%. That's what I would guess. And then it'll just show me, hey, how's the S&P done so far this year? 24%. <laughs> so when you look at that, it's very hard to say, well, gee, I'm not making money on this. I should just put money in that right? for now. Because yep. <laughs> this isn't making money, but that is. 
that's what a regular person I think well, looks at when they're when they're not thinking about anything that's happened before or might happen in the future. Yeah. Well, and that's you're jumping down to number three here, which is chasing what worked. And you know we see this all the time when we're sitting down with clients and doing reviews. You know, we're not only looking at the overall portfolio, but we're going to go through and look a little bit at how did the individual components do. So when you're looking at this, you're saying, okay, how did your large cap growth stocks do? How about large cap value, international, emerging markets? And we so often get this comment that I almost always preemptively bring this up is people will often look at that. And let's take a year like last year. <laughs> When, when they looked and they'd say, wow, my large cap growth stocks were up 20%, but my value stocks were up 13%. Why don't we take more money and put it into those value stocks? Or, or I'm sorry, the growth, growth. stocks. Right. You know, why don't we get rid of these things like emerging markets that don't seem to be doing that well? And people do this time and again where they chase after performance. And they say, well, I want to go in whatever has done well lately. And you can see this with mutual funds that, that people will put money in whatever assets have done well. And unfortunately, that's also a, a, well, a recipe also, for... It's always leading to the same thing. You're supposed to buy low and sell high. Right. Not move things out of because it's all going to come back, not sell low and buy high. Right. Which is exactly what you're doing. Yeah unwittingly again when you do stuff like that how about this one that he had on here number four he called this lottery ticket investing and i guess i hadn't heard it phrased this way but i you know we have seen some of this in practice which is where somebody wants to invest in a really just a home run you know i'm going to either strike out or hit a big home run type of investment you know, and it might be one of these high risk private equity things or using options or something like that where someone says, you know what, I, I'm not going to be able to retire anyway unless I really knock one out of the park. So I'm going to just go for broke here. I, you know, that mentality doesn't really jive with me. And for the most part, we yeah, probably don't, don't wind up working with those people. No, I don't even I can't relate to that personally, but. Because it but, makes so little sense, but anyway. But, yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. And quite frankly, I wouldn't pick a stock if I were doing that. I would pick a football game <laughs> because that's the same thing. At least and it you would be feel like... way more entertaining. Right. Uh, so, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, then he talks about late cycle overconfidence. And I think this ties in with everything we've been talking about, which is basically just this idea that, you know, we've been going up for 10 plus years now. And a lot of people in the beginning of the cycle, oh, well, I'm not going to get in. We're going to go into a recession soon. And then after so many years, they say, well, you know what? I might as well just go ahead and join the party and get in to stocks now. Right. And not, and then you ugh, look at CNBC on any given day. I'm just talking about today, the day we're recording the podcast. The doom and gloom of maybe when things were down a couple days is now the 2020 is looking great. Yeah. Well, wait a second, boy, 2019, I'm assuming it's going to end okay, is going to be pretty awesome in the S&P 500, and 2020 is looking great too. Well, yeah. feeds into the psychology that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, these are all themes that we've talked about 
many times over the years. And, you know, I think it ties into this example that I heard recently well that, that talks about the difference between the economy and the stock market. Um, and the example that I heard used, never heard this one before, was imagine a man walking his dog across the park, right? The man is going to be walking relatively straight line. Right? He might go up and down a few little hills, whatnot, but he's going in a straight line there. The dog, meanwhile, is on one of these long leashes and the dog's going all over the place. You know, the dog's zipping forward. He's going to zip backwards. He's chasing after a squirrel. He's all over the place. This is my dog. <laughs> yeah. Oshi. It's a one and a half year old puppy. That's exactly what our walks are like. Yeah. He's going to zip all over. Well, the dog is the stock market. Overreacting, freaking out, getting excited. You know, it's going to fluctuate around. But at the end of the day, the economy and the stock market are going to be you know, long-term correlated, right? You're not going to have a great stock market and a lousy economy long-term, but they can become disjointed at times. And your dog's flying up ahead, looking at that squirrel, barking his head off, and you're sitting down on a bench. Um, you're disjointed there, but then eventually you get back together. You know what a good analogy is for my actual dog? Okay. The China trade agreement is actually a dog down the street called Bucky. Okay. We're ahead of Bucky. Boom. It goes backward. <laughs> if Bucky's ahead of us for some reason, boom, it's going forward. Okay. Uh, I thought you were going to say some days he gets along with Bucky and some days he doesn't get along with Bucky. No, Bucky's pretty calm. Bucky okay. thinks Oshi's insane. Right. Uh, Oshi, the Bucky, that's the China trade agreement part of your analogy. Got it. All right. Thanks for joining us. We will uh, check in with you again next month. Hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you soon.